because uh, and this is true. Uh, I used to be at Jay's games where no joke, you didn't need to specify social distancing. We had social distancing at the ballpark at the game. Rows in each direction where I could just sit and chill. The only foul ball I ever got, Dave. Did I ever tell you the story of the only foul ball I ever got at a game? No. Okay, no. this is great. This was uh, social distancing back in the in the early two thousands in Toronto. So we didn't need we didn't need uh, a mandate. We, if you wanted social distancing in Toronto, go to a Jays game in the early two thousands. You are listening to episode 47 of the Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast, the podcast with rapidly changing and always constantly different entrances. I'm Carlos, and with me as always is Dave Turnbull. You know, I still like the original spiel. The or original? when you used to say blah, blah, blah on the spiel. I did like that. Yeah, but I've, I've gone beyond that to the point of now I don't even get to blah, blah, blah. As we slowly move into, end, into new eras of uncharted laziness. Are we basically saying, hey, by this point you should have listened to us enough that you know what this is about? It literally is on the, if you look up our podcast, the whole spiel is there. Literally the, the whole thing that used to be the intro, it's always there. At this point, saying it out loud every single time is not going to be a thing. Maybe on special occasions. When we get to episode 50, I'll do the whole original spiel just for you, Dave. Awesome. I love it. Beautiful. So we're going to have a little bit of fun uh, this week again. Uh, we're now in, for me, it's the second full week of full-time working from home. So I've, I'm already well into my groove. Actually, this week, we kind of let the cat out of the bag because at this point, somebody point blank asked me. I've been avoiding the subject because, to be honest, I'm kind of comfortable with the way we've been going. Obviously, long term, we can't do it this way. But for me, it's kind of okay. But they basically said, like, Carlos, I don't feel like you would be suffering that much. And I go, look, guys, I, I didn't want to make it of you feel bad, but um, I'm kind of living my best life right now. And they're like, really? And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. I don't have the same boredom problems you guys have. It's like, that's all you guys. Right now, I'm kind of chilling. I got my space in my office. I got a comfortable chair. I got my, you know, a laptop stand. I can do my thing. Listen to my music. I'm all good. Go you may be able to catch up on anything that, uh, like, non-work related that you uh, were hoping to do or read or watch oh, or anything yes. like that? Oh, yes. No, the, the biggest thing – okay, so, like, like we addressed this a little bit last week. The biggest thing, the physical part of it is obvious. We know what's going on with the social distancing, all that stuff. The, the thing I think a lot of folks are struggling with who have been working from home for the first time, and, again, we acknowledge that some people aren't in that position, you know, we feel for those that are no longer cashing a paycheck, and that's really bad. And it's something, like I said, we can't have this sustainably. But for those of you who are in a position to be able to do it, one thing that you're going to have to work through, and this is not easy for everybody, is this is a mental game. Because, uh, because the whole being at home all the time and all that, it's tough mentally if you're not comfortable with it or if you're not able to adjust to it. For me, since I already kind of had the office for working from home, I used to work from home at least a day a week you know, for the last couple of years. So I'm not completely unfamiliar. So it didn't take me long to get to shift back into what I needed to do. And then I knew if I'm going to do this for any period of time extended, I needed to adjust. I needed to set myself up to make this as comfortable as possible. And I do that, which means that I'm able to uh, not be distracted by other things around me that, are, that would throw me off. And part of it is uh, when I'm not working is that I find little projects around the house to work on, areas that need to be cleaned up or that I've been too lazy to deal with or whatever. Now I'm dealing with them a little bit and I'm figuring out like I've got so many little projects I can work on around here, Dave, that it could keep me busy for years. Obviously, we don't want to be playing that game, but the point is that I could. So if you know that you have something to keep your mind occupied, it's kind of hard to be bored then. Yeah, for sure. And that's the biggest thing. Uh, so how about yourself? You guys, uh, you guys were gearing up to move. I assume you're still working on a little bit of that. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, you know, we I've been in touch with the people I need to be in touch with to say that uh, the move is still going to happen. Everyone that around the move that we need 
has been deemed an essential service because you know Doug Ford loves to say everyone's essential. I don't know if you've seen that meme going around with, with Oprah. Oprah. Or, yeah. yeah, you're essential. Right. You're essential. You're all essential. Which is which is pretty much how the uh, province of Ontario is running things right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen worse though. Who, I've seen worse who, though. Who wasn't essential? But anyway, I'm glad that uh, in all seriousness, I'm glad that everything's able to go through with that. Uh, so we have just about a week left mm-hmm. uh, in this place before we're out, uh, and most of you know the cupboards and everything are empty. The back shed in the backyard's empty as of today, so it's mostly just the furniture and a couple of things in the garage left. So yeah, so um, about a, yeah about a week we'll we'll be out, and then there's still a couple of days that we have to if we have to do a little bit of cleaning or, or something didn't work, we've kind of given ourselves a grace period. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be able to out there and then we're in in with the in-laws for 10 days and then into the new place yeah ironically if um like i said hopefully we're able to restabilize ourselves in not too distant future but at least at the outset uh setting up a new house means you got a very legitimate excuse to be inside the house doing stuff yeah you know what i mean it's 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 very easy to have something to do and be doing that Right, which is which is good, and and now that uh, as I said off air, I'm theoretically quote unquote back at work. Uh, I am a high school teacher, so we're sort of figuring out uh, what things are going to look like in terms of. How it's I mean, let's be real. I think it's going to be the rest of the school year. Uh, I think most people think that it's going to be the rest of the school year. We'll see. I would like to obviously go back to work in the physical building, uh, but. The good news for me is one of my courses are, was already online. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I'm familiar with that platform and things, which is good. Uh, I, I do, as we said, I feel for some of the teachers who ha- don't have the familiarity with that. Yep. And I have a feeling part of my, my job over the next couple of weeks will probably be to help some teachers with that familiarity and, and get a little bit more familiar with that. Uh, but at least I feel like I have a little more purpose uh, when it comes to that. And I'm, you know, I was missing sort of, even though I was going to be away for work anyway for, for the March break week, uh, I've been sort of missing the, the, the routine, I guess that comes with that. Uh, because you know, you're trying to obviously develop, I mean, for me, a lot of people, creatures of habit routine is good for them. Uh, and so it's not so much the, the, you know, not being able to leave your house or really only going out for your house to yeah, go for a walk and then come back. But then when you're on that walk, try and avoid everyone. It's the, how do you, how do you work it all? And, that- and, you know, with a kid, how do you figure it out? Right. And, and we're slowly sort of getting there, uh, which is helping. And, uh, you know, if George would only just keep his schedule the same, then I think the rest of us would be good too. Uh, but you know, uh, he doesn't always seem to want to keep the same schedule because he's a baby and he can do what he wants. Well done. Well done by you. No, the thing is, you did hit on the point that I, the overarching point that I was making is that it is the routine. The, I think what's throwing a lot of people off is that this has disrupted their routine. And I think some people are now starting to realize that they took for granted certain things that were a routine before, where now you're being asked to swap it. Myself, even though, like I said, I'm more of a homebody, so it's a little easier for me. But one thing that I tend to do that I'm not do that I've changed up on my end as well is that I tend to go grocery shopping a little too much. So rather than just make the plan, build the list, go get everything in one shot, which I'm basically doing, I'm about once a week, I'll go, all right, this is the day I've designated. This is the list. This is what I got to go get. And it's a straight mission. I go in, I go get my stuff, I get out. Simple. And I'm generally in and out because I don't like to sit around all day, you know, staring at the shelves. I know more or less what I want. I go get it. But the big differentiator is that rather than grab a couple of things and then a couple of days later grab a couple more things and grab a couple more things, 
the idea is to minimize the amount of that. So the simplest way to do that is like, just make up your mind. It also leads you to thinking, you're almost thinking like a minimalist, that concept that people throw out there. It's like, what do you really need? You're not, you're probably not grabbing that extra box of Oreos. It's like, do you need that extra box of Oreos? Is it that important to go outside to go get that right now? Or can it wait until the day where you go get the other groceries? Yeah, like I, I um, so Megan does most of our grocery shopping here and I, she's been feeling not the greatest lately. Um, not in the like, we're worried she has COVID-19, not the greatest. So I went out and did the grocery shopping and it took me over an hour uh, trying to find some of the things that were on the list, which I wasn't, you know, normally familiar with. But I felt that was, it, I was really uncomfortable in the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Um, we went to uh, a Longo's mm-hmm. or I went to a Longo's and it's weird because like if you go to like Metro, I'm just, I'm not saying one store is better than the other. That's not what I'm doing here. Uh, but Metro is very like, and I've heard some Fortinos as well are like, you know, so many people in, uh, you know, when you're checking out and when you're waiting in line to get into the store, if you have to, that you have to be six feet apart and all that kind of jazz, which I think you should be. And I'm good. I'm good with that. Uh, Longos was kind of like the wild west. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, they sprayed your cart for you when you came in, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, I appreciate that. But otherwise, it was like people trying to avoid people in the aisles. And then like when it came to like checkout, I was like, if, some, if I stand far back as I want to, is someone going to realize that I'm actually in line? It was weird. Yeah, uh, I didn't space- seem to see a lot of order to it, which I, I didn't like. Some supermarkets haven't quite figured out how to set that because it's tricky if you really think about it. Uh, and we won't dwell on this too long, but just conceptually, just so everybody understands, we're all kind of in the same boat. The reality is, though, that uh, spacing in a supermarket's hard because the aisles aren't designed for that. You know, like if this is true. if I need to go get my pasta and it's on the left side of the aisle, and you're over on the right side of the same aisle, staring at another thing on the opposite end of the exact same aisle, how the hell do I get my pasta while you go get your other thing without us getting within six feet of each other? It's actually physically impossible. Um, so then, what do you do? Do I wait for you to grab your crap, however long that takes you, and hopefully you don't take all day? And then finally, when you move yourself, can I go get my friggin' pasta and stuff like that? And that's that's a day-to-day consideration now, or it wasn't a day-to-day consideration before. And that makes it really tricky as far as that's concerned. And it changes the way that people have to deal with it, because now all of a sudden, there is a little bit of paranoia. People are like, okay, so what do I do here? There are too many people on this aisle, and I want to go get a thing that's right in the middle. How the hell do I go get it? You become Indiana Jones, and you're like, okay, how do I get it without the boulder rolling me over? Like, what am I going to yeah, do? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and, and I will say on, on, on the one thing is I find like the hardest thing for me right now is I'm either like really good with like a, like a set routine. Here's what we do or like no routine whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So it's like you can get up when you want, do whatever you want. doesn't matter. Right. I'm good. I am, can operate well in both of those environments and I have neither right now. Yeah. Right. Because it's like semi routine. Maybe we have a routine today. We'll see how it works. Uh, and and sort of that's that's my struggle. I mean, it's, honestly, in the grand scheme of things, it's not that important in terms of like the struggle. But that's that's sort of where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's and I think that's going to be the big thing for a lot of folks is like, can you get a routine? Like, part of this is recording this podcast is part of my routine. Right now, no, for sure. But I said like I'd also be okay with like no routine. So it's like get up and figure out what you're going to do today. Mm-hmm. So that's great. But it's like when you have like six things you'd like to do, but you're not sure if you can do them, and or you can do them, but then if George doesn't nap long enough then you can't get the one and it's like i just i tap out you know <laughs> nice nicely job nice nicely done by you so that's a little bit about that that's kind of how our week has been and you know things will kind of progress along as they go and hopefully uh things return to more of a conventional thing although i i'll be curious to see long term 
if some of these things that people have gotten acclimated to, and this is a conversation I've had with other folks, in the long term, does the fact that you're now having to readjust the way you're thinking about stuff, does that alter then long term how you respond when things get quote unquote back to normal? One thing I can tell you that's been a big thing, and I mentioned it last week, is that I make a I make it a habit here to kind of move around a little bit more. I make a conscious effort to do that, uh, to exercise where I can, where it, the opportunity presents itself. And because I'm cooking all my own meals, everything is more streamlined. So in reality, I'm technically eating better. Even something as simple as my iced coffee. It's one of my things that I enjoy. I'm not going out to go get that. I got I got my iced coffee. I got a machine, coffee you know coffee beans, grind them, you know, put it in the machine, make my own, and then I can have as much or as little as I want. And I have my routine in the morning where I go make it, have my breakfast and all that. So in reality, I'm eating better than I have. It, ironically, and Dave knows how weird this would be, I can tell you definitively, I'm sleeping better than I have in years. And the numbers bear that out. What? Turnbull, at least an hour a day more on average. Not a joke. 100% true. Are you sure you are not some kind of doppelganger and killed the original Carlos? No, I'm just saying, like, for me, this this setup is so simple because I because I basically cut two hours out of my commute per day. So because I have an extra two hours, I'm able to like, I have an early morning meeting, but I don't have to get up as early. So all of a sudden I, I basically have an extra hour. My alarm, my alarm is an hour later because it's like, well, I don't need that extra hour to figure everything out, hit, hit the go train and then get on the subway and then, you know, do the transfer between those two because that's suddenly not there. It's off my schedule. I don't need to concern myself with it. And when my workday is over, my workday still ends at the same time that it did before. So suddenly I don't have an hour on the back end where I was previously commuting. So it's like- sweet, that is nice. It's two hours per day. So you, you can figure that out. During a work week, that's an extra 10 hours per week for me to yeah, do whatever it is I need to do. a lot of stuff you could be doing. Correct. So it's like everybody's experience is gonna be different, but that's what I'm finding. And that's a huge differentiator on my end. And all of a sudden I'm finding myself, okay, well maybe I need to get creative. I need to think of something. To, it's not just watching or listening to stuff, even though we're gonna talk about that. But it, it's also like, what, what can I do? What can I get done that maybe I suddenly have an opportunity to? So it's, I guess it's like looking at half full versus half empty. In this case, it's a little bit, I tend to veer on the half empty side of it traditionally. But I guess in this case, I've, I've veered towards the half full. I'm looking at some opportunities that I didn't otherwise have that suddenly I do. What have you done with the Carlos we all know and love? I told you, man, being able to sit in my office and just do my thing, it, it, I, I might be living my best life right now is all I'm trying to tell you. I think you are. I, I think you are. I'm, that's all I'm saying. It, you know, for all your benefit, I will sacrifice my best life eventually. But for now, just understand that this is working for me. Okay. En- enjoy it for you. Enjoy it while you got it, man. Exactly. And for, you know, I, I mean, it's nice to see though, like as well on that side. First of all, I'm happy for you, especially for the sleep, man. But also people who are, you know, posting about, you know, the extra family time they're getting, you know, or getting time to spend, especially if, if, you know, you had a big commute and now you don't, you, you know, you get an extra, what you say, hour, two hours, whatever with your family. Uh, for those people who are getting that, I'm glad and I'm happy for that. And, and I hope that people don't take that for granted when all is said and done. Yeah, that'll be the big question that I have, and we'll see how that plays out. But I would say, like I said, try to find the silver lining here a little bit, because for some folks, it's going to be tougher, for sure. Uh, but for some folks, it is, there are some opportunities here that maybe you hadn't considered, and maybe you should think about it a little bit and see what you can do with it. You never know. Like I said, if I, if I come out of this, you know, better slept than I have in years, maybe, and, you know, in better shape than I have in years, because suddenly I'm eating so much better. Maybe I don't need to get that iced coffee every day and pay the extra and whatever. Like, I'm saving money. Like, that's a big one as well. And it's maybe it's a good time for me to save money, actually, logistically. It's actually a very smart thing for me to do because we have the uncertainty that's coming next. That's the next shoe to drop. But we'll get there when we get there. Not yet, but we have to consider all these things. 
So let's talk about a couple of uh, more kind of uh, uplifting uh, thought processes. I do want to talk about a couple more things. So our main thing is going to be talking about different sports-related, like podcasts, video games, books, novels, all kinds of stuff, different types of media that you might want to consume while you're finding things to occupy your time. So even if you're not going to do something, maybe some stuff you can listen or watch or whatever or read that maybe would be good for you. So Dave's got a list of things. I can, I've got a couple that I'll throw at you. But before we get to that, let me tell you about a couple of things that I have looked at that are kind of either not necessarily sports, may might be sports adjacent, but I'll throw a couple of things out at you. One of them that I checked out uh, work-wise, like I said, when I was doing my stuff, is I've kind of looked into uh, looking at some more of my Spotify playlists, so that's just for me. One thing that I that I got into, and this is just a quick nostalgic thing for me, um, I, I checked out one of their pre-made playlists, and that's 2000s rock anthems. And I was getting some serious nostalgia vibes, Dave. Serious nostalgia. Nice. I like it, man. Yeah. So literally on the, on the playlist, the first one that comes up is P.O.D. Youth of the Nation. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> I was like, uh, P.O.D., Breaking Benjamin, Seether, Three Days Grace. I'm like, oh, okay, this is basically much music, circa 2001, 2002, 2005. Nuts. And I was getting a kick out of it. I was listening to this. I was rocking out to it while I was uh, doing my work, quote unquote. So I was having some fun with that. Nice. A lot of nostalgia on that one, Dave. But uh, the other thing I checked out, and this is a little bit sports adjacent, we'll call it. Uh, this is kind of interesting. Are you familiar with Vice? You mean like the the news service or sort of? It's like journalism a, kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, it's like it's like a website and channel yeah. and things. Like I'm, I'm familiar with Vice. Yeah, yeah. Vice and Viceland. Well, one of the things they did, did the last couple of years, I had heard of it, but I hadn't checked it out. Was that uh, they have uh, a documentary series that they've released? They're in their second season of it now. It's called Dark Side of the Ring. So it talks about a lot of uh, professional wrestling stuff. And I used to watch a ton of professional wrestling back in the day, especially in the heyday of it. Um, I've kind of fallen out of enjoyment out of it, although I do enjoy some stuff still. Uh, AEW produces some good stuff. WWE really is crap, but I'll talk about a little bit about WWE in a second because I'm having a little fun with this. But they produce this documentary series. It's called Dark Side of the Ring. And they talk about different topics. Their first episode of season two was particularly interesting. It came out just recently. Literally, I think this past week was the second episode. But it was a two-parter to start off the se season, and it was talking about Chris Benoit. Now, uh, do you know anything about Chris Benoit? Yes, I am familiar with Chris Benoit. Yeah. So uh, for those that are less familiar, let me give you the quick short synopsis, and I'll explain kind of what this documentary series covered that I thought was interesting. Uh, Chris Benoit was a Canadian professional wrestler, and a very good one, a highly decorated technical wrestler who was high, was known for being really, really good at what he did. But one of the things, now, what basically became infamous, he was uh, good friends with another great professional wrestler, Eddie Guerrero, and what happened is in 2005, Eddie Guerrero passed away, and this affected Chris Benoit profoundly. Now, people knew that, but at the same time, they didn't know how profoundly it affected him because part of the documentary is looking at what happened to Chris Benoit, and when I talk about what happened with Chris Benoit, specifically in 2007, Chris Benoit was found dead along with his family. And as it turned out, when, when the details came out, it turned out that Chris Benoit had murdered his, uh, his wife and his son and then killed himself over the course of a weekend. Now, obviously, that, that in itself is salacious. It's, it's incredibly, it's, it's a shocking, you know, turn of events. It's a hugely sad story. And because the details came out kind of slowly, WWE actually did a tribute show for him on the Monday, not fully understanding the implications of what was about to happen. So by the next episode, they had to immediately acknowledge that they had aired because you generally don't want to celebrate the life of a double murder or suicide person. Correct. Usually. usually. It's, it's usually not a thing you want to do. So, up, so after that, basically, WWE kind of whitewashed the existence of Chris Benoit. They don't mention the guy. They don't talk about him. 
But that in and of itself as an interpretation is very simplistic because there were some complicating factors that we don't know exactly why. We're never going to know why. But the documentary did an excellent job over two episodes explaining the background of Chris Benoit, how he ended up there, everything leading up to it, and then also explaining the aftermath and the consequences and things like that. But also looking into it because Chris Benoit had very serious CTE, which was really becoming into prominence. People were starting to figure out the impact and the effects of CTE, generally with football players. That's kind of where they were thinking about that. But he had a case where he had a supremely uh, serious case of it. Now, was that a factor? Maybe, maybe not. Was it a factor that is, you know, one of his best friends died and he had some emotional issues related to that? Could have been a factor too. And the fact that he also did a ton of steroids and, you know, roid rage and all that. All of these things could have come together to create kind of this situation that happened and exploded. The end result, though, is that it changed a lot of things. And one of the things that, uh, and I would recommend to you, if you have any interest in anything I just described to you, and it is dark, just so we're clear, it is super dark. Um, but if you have any interest in any of it, check out the two-part documentary. It's part one and part two. It's called Dark Side of the Ring, Chris Benoit. And the thing about it is that um, the narrator is Chris Jericho, professional wrestler as well, well-noted one, uh, who kind of participated in the project because they wanted to do. But I will say one of the interesting takeaways, and this is something that wasn't as well-known necessarily, one of the interesting takeaways is that they did, I think, a good job characterizing all about Chris Benoit, talking about Eddie Guerrero as well, and you know, family, friends, and whatever. But part of what they did was they focused some attention on, uh, I believe it's Daniel Benoit. This was uh, Chris Benoit's other son from a previous relationship who wasn't involved in this, but who obviously is still impacted by it to this day because he actually had some interest in getting into the wrestling business and he's been kind of blackballed. WWE doesn't acknowledge him. It's almost like he doesn't exist. And this was probably the first big interview he has done where he kind of is talking about it because from his perspective, he has a very different view of his dad than a lot of other people do because... Up until that point, he had lived an entire lifetime with his dad being a very different person than uh, what ended up happening over that weekend. Where, and that one thing is hugely impactful. And then obviously he took the brunt of that being the, the living Benoit that's still around. That just having the last name immediately puts the stigma on him that kind of it was unfair. And they do address it in the documentary. But it is fascinating if that is something that interests you. Yeah, that sounds actually like a, a really good documentary. I mean, I'm familiar with the story to some degree. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing that you mentioned that, you know, I didn't really, I was like, what? Uh, but I think I'm going to check that out. It's very good. Like I said, I do give everybody fair warning that it is supremely dark. Obviously, it is a dark subject matter. It's not light fair. Uh, so if that, and it is impactful and there are some very interesting things. What I would say is one thing that did come out of the documentary that I thought was very good was uh, towards the end, uh, there was um, Daniel Benoit was reunited with uh, his, I guess, aunt-in-law if you want, the sister of the of Nancy Benoit, who was killed in part of that, uh, their relationship had been separated for years. And in the documentary, it kind of showed uh, one of their first, uh, basically they were together as part of the interviews, so that was the first time they were able to reconnect. And they actually went to a wrestling show and they were able to sit together and enjoy it. And the, the documentary is very dark, but it does end on kind of a light note and a kind of a uplifting note, if you wish, because these are two former kind of family members who got to reconnect after many years of being separated out. And WWE comes off horrifically bad on this, because basically they never reached out to Daniel Benoit or the sister of uh, Nancy Benoit to ever acknowledge or talk to them or whatever. Uh, WWE comes off terribly on the thing. Uh, but WWE huh. always has a little bit of that shady edge, which has always existed. Vince McMahon doesn't exactly run a... He doesn't have his hands clean, is what I'm saying. And he's never had. 
Kind of segueing from that, though, still talking about WWE, in the same vein that's kind of interesting, now bringing it back to the contemporary, to the modern day. WrestleMania 36 is going to happen next weekend, <laughs> Dave. And what's interesting about it is that WrestleMania 36 has, has taken some twists and turns on this. Now, I'll give WWE a little bit of a break on this piece. Vince McMahon really desperately wanted to house this event in some capacity. Mind you, some of it comes across from the fact that whenever you have a big event like that, you have insurance, right? Like cancellation insurance, basically. If something happens, an act of God, yeah. whatever. But this is very tricky, legal water, because basically Vince McMahon has to do everything in his power to try to have the event so that if basically the state of Florida, because they're going to have it, in, they were going to have it in Tampa Bay. If basically the state of Florida says, yeah, no events for anybody ever, then it basically, they in turn cancel it. And if the state cancels it, well, then he can go to the insurance company and say, well, I tried to have the event. We tried our best. We did everything we could to still have it. You know, can we have our insurance money? Because otherwise, if he cancels it, well, then he's entitled to nothing. Right. So it becomes this little bit of legal wrangling where it's like, even if I think it's going to get canceled, I have to I have to take every step to look like I'm going to run it. But at the same time, publicly, I'm going to take a hammering because everyone's like, dude, just cancel the damn thing or postpone it to a different time when you can do it better. Uh, so in the end, they're going to run it, but they had to basically pre-tape WrestleMania. A bunch of the matches and things have already been recorded. It's already occurred, technically, and they're going to break it up over two nights. Well, uh, that is going to be very bizarre. And already, as a result of it, some of the big matches have already been changed, even though they were pre-taped, because uh, one of the big main event guys, probably for them, was going to be Roman Reigns, who basically excused himself from it, because Roman Reigns, not too long ago, had leukemia. So he is immune, you know, he's compromised. He has a compromised immune system. So right now is not a good time. Basically, he should be in a bubble right now. He should be separated from all of that stuff. And a couple of WWE superstars have been quarantined, and the list is actually growing. So right now hmm. would be like the worst time possible for him to be involved in any of that. So there's a lot of weirdness involved. in WrestleMania 36 has been kind of a bizarre thing with the way it's gone. So it's pre-taped now. No audience, pre-taped. And they're doing more of a cinematic thing. So they are actually having some of these matches kind of in a warehouse and doing like a cinematic thing where they are creating this, uh, this match in this weird environment, um, doing it like a movie. Nice. I appreciate it. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like it, it's it's bizarre because it's not WrestleMania. It's it's and I, I kind of uh, err on the side of where folks would be like, guys, you should just postpone the damn thing. Because it's going to be crummy. You're going to break it up over two nights. It's been pre-taped. The, the, the result has already occurred. There's no audience, which is part of the show. This is a show. It's, it would be, let, let me put it in this way. You, uh, back in the day, Dave, you did a lot of plays, especially back in university, but then uh, later yes, on. Yes, this is true. Now, imagine trying to do it with no audience. No, man. The audience is that, I mean, that's why you do live theater, right? Correct. Like, literally, like, it, isn't, it isn't what it's supposed to be yeah. unless there's an audience. Yeah, it totally defeats the point. And I think a lot of folks get confused when it comes to professional wrestling. And I go, stop worrying about all the, you know, they go, oh, well, but, it, but it's fake, whatever. So, yeah, so CFL football, but no one cares. But the point is that um, when you're talking about professional wrestling, really what you're talking, if you actually give the genre its proper explanation, here it is. It's a really simple explanation. It's a televised stage show. It is a stage show. The ring is the stage. The performers are in it. They're doing their job. And you have an audience. It's a show. So it's like, oh, but it's script. Yes, it's a show. My favorite television show is House. And I assure you, Hugh Laurie is both not a doctor and not American. True. This, this doesn't seem to be an issue. <laughs> like In every other genre of entertainment, just so you know, Tom Cruise is not a super spy. He is not. I promise. What? 
True story, I'm afraid. Scientology is lying to you. He is not a super spy. But, like, this doesn't seem to be an issue in any other genre. The fact that uh, these, you know, these people are, you know, portraying a character doesn't seem to be a problem anywhere except in professional wrestling where suddenly for some reason because professional wrestling always tried to create this veneer of oh it's real no guys it's a show and the thing is a show can be a show and a show has a predetermined outcome because otherwise these guys are if you want to see what a real fight can look like go watch a ufc fight it's still crowd pleasing can still be incredibly entertaining but if you get into a highly technical grappling match with two guys that are evenly matched that's not everybody's cup of tea I enjoy it because I appreciate it for what it is, but it's not going to be uh, enjoyable to the masses. That's not crowd-pleasing. So, yeah. But that's what a real fight looks like when you've got two people that know exactly what the other one can do, so they're mitigating against it and doing counters on counters on counters. Guess what? That's not going to look really good on TV all the time. Having those matches from time to time is fun, but having the, you know, the slugfest where two guys are going back and forth on it, that's what brings the crowds in and keeps them excited. And you got to have those matches too. Yeah, for sure. So I just want to talk about that a little bit because it was kind of fun. I just thought the bizarreness of WrestleMania this year, because WrestleMania, my association to it is twofold. When, I, like I said, I enjoy professional wrestling a lot growing up. In another lifetime, if I had started podcasting years ago, I probably would have done a wrestling podcast because I knew so much about what was going on that I could have definitely done it. I wouldn't do it today because some of the product is miserable. I I would be just I would be just basically liquor markup tax mad on every single episode. Ooh. And I would have an aneurysm is basically what would occur. I'd be so irritated with the whole thing that I'd lose my mind. And I'm like, my blood pressure doesn't need that. I don't need that in my life. But the point is, I still enjoy the genre for what it is. But the whole bizarreness of this and the other element of it is that technically speaking, WrestleMania is about the same age as us. This is WrestleMania 36. We're going to be 37. So it's like there's always been they've always been closely tied in terms of timing. And I feel like this is the one year you could have postponed the thing. Just uh, moved on from it and put it. You got to have it in front of a live crowd. It's not as much fun. And that's just true of a lot of sports and a lot of events and a lot of things. It's like, guys, if you can't do it, just don't bother. Yeah. You can't do it right is really what it comes down to. So anyway, that's kind of what I wanted to talk about that. But I think uh, you had a little bit of a topic you wanted to talk about as well, Dave. So why don't we segue yeah. into that? I found myself this week missing baseball uh, a little bit. And well, this that's week because was opening day. Well, it was supposed to be opening day. Uh, but, but two things kind of tided me over for the time being one of which was you're ready for it a video of vin scully i'm just surprised you don't just start every day with a video of vin scully i should i wish but this was actually him in his house in california looking every bit his age but uh you know still with the same voice and, and the same passion behind it and talking about opening day and, and what he misses about it and just you know wishing everybody you know health and safety and stuff and i i really appreciated that 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 he you know that he would agree to be recorded and, and put it out there. So that's number one. And the second thing is it made me think of my opening day memories. Uh, and, and for me, there's a couple of opening day games that I've been to. And we can go into those in a second if we want to. But uh, it made me think sort of, do you have any particular... I know one of which we share Yep. because uh, we went to that opener together. Uh, I don't know if we remember anything other than the game than the Usher Light Show because that's all I remember. I don't remember who won. I don't remember who they were playing. It was the Blue Jays, and I just remember the Usher Light Show before the game. Yeah. Uh, but do, and I'll share the other one in a second, but you can comment on that. But do, are there any opening day memories that you have okay, so that stand then, out to you? So I was thinking about this a little bit because we discussed it before we started recording, and I was trying to figure out in my mind... I've actually been to a fair number of Jays opening games. Uh, 
But the thing is, uh, I think really it became an event at a certain point where it's like, oh, opening day. So even when the Jays were really bad, opening day tended to be the best crowd of the year. That's usually how it worked. People would come in and that would be, if you're going to go to a game, a specific game, that was the game. But I can tell you, there was a time not that long ago where even for opening day, you could get tickets right up until the day. Nowadays, it's like if opening day had gone off without a hitch, I promise you, you you would have to be getting your ticket in advance. Because one of the things you could do, and I'll, I'll give you a couple of memories associated kind of with this. Uh, one of the things that uh, Toronto used to have is they used to have the Toronto Star season ticket pass. And one of the things was is that basically what it was is that you would go and apply for it and you could get this little card. And the card would guarantee you a ticket to any game as long as they had it available in the section that was available. It was always in the 500 section, always up there. And, you know, you wouldn't get amazing seats, but they were decent seats. Uh, and the Toronto Star season ticket pass originally started at $81. So technically speaking, you could get what was almost the equivalent of a season ticket as long as there was availability. And by the way, the Jays suck, so there always was availability. So realistically, you were getting a season ticket for $81. You were getting it for a dollar a game, which is a phenomenal deal if you really think about it. Now, eventually, they slowly crept up the price, but I think at its peak, before they canceled it, the season ticket passed with, I think, a little over 100 bucks. But 100 bucks for potentially 81 games is still a steal. It's, it's tremendous. Um, but mind you, these were in days where the 500-level seat, seats, I think, were like 7 bucks, and then eventually they were like 10 bucks and 12 bucks. I think it's more than that, much more than that now. Um, but the point is, you could, for a little while, use it for opening day, and then after a while, they said, well, every game except opening day. Because, you know, they realized that opening day was the one, like, selling point they could have. By the way, this team's going to be terrible. But come out to opening day. That's where everybody else goes in. Uh, so it was always fun time at the Dome. But uh, kind of to your question, I, I struggle with it because it's like, yeah, I remember going. But I'm like, what exactly happened in a lot of those games? Because some of the games were kind of nondescript. There would be some interesting games, I suppose, but I guess maybe the problem is, and I'll confess to this, maybe the problem is I've been to literally hundreds of Jays games over the years. Literally hundreds. And once you get to that point, is because I because there were some years where I'd go to like 15, 20 games a year. And I had a streak where I ran it from about the mid-90s, uh, you know, after the strike year, until maybe like 20, I want to say like 2014 or 2015. Okay. Where I would go to like, at least a game every year, and generally speaking, most years was like 10 games, 15 games, even 20 games a year. Well, do the math on that. Like, literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of games. So, at that point, it's like, you'll remember certain specific games, but opening day in of itself, aside from the pomp and circumstance, generally wasn't that interesting a game. It was just, I think the atmosphere added a lot to it. I'll be honest with you. My biggest memory in the Dome for a baseball game was the Canada-U.S. World Baseball Classic game. And I was there for that. Nice. I was there for that game as well. Yeah. So I'll be honest, that was a game that I would say was memorable from that perspective. And the year that Jose Batista hit 54 home runs, that year, uh, especially as he started hitting more and more home runs, I would say there were a lot of memorable games for that. That was another one I would say was a pretty good one as well. If you don't mind me adding one then to to where we're at. So the only other opening day that I remember, I mean, it's possible that I've been to another Jays opening day but as as you you know you said you've been to so many games that they all just kind of blur together they do uh but uh i did go to an arizona diamondbacks opening day once uh and it was just you know in my travels trying to get to all 30 major league baseball parks 
it was on the list and that just kind of worked out and that's the end game we ended up going to. Uh, and you know, I'd never been to an opening day outside of Canada. So I was like, Hey, let's do this. And uh, we ended up getting tickets. It was again, sold out. Uh, I think we were, we were behind home plate, which is awesome. Good. But we we're like in the second row from like the back in the third level. So the highest, you know, pretty much the highest you could be in. I might even have been in the back row, but I think it was the second from the back. Uh, but the things that kind of stood out to me, one, it, it, it was like, you know, okay, you're now only hearing the American Anthem for an opening day and a stadium I've never been to. Uh, and you get a great view up there because what they do there is it's, it's, it's a, like a retractable roof stadium, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it, I don't know if it's still called Chase Field or it was then. I don't know what it's I'm called I'm pretty sure now. they've changed the name at this point. Um, but they have these pa- what the panels that open or shut um, and based on if they want the air conditioning on or off. And because it, was, it wasn't in the middle of the summer, it was closed at the beginning. Uh, but then they're like, you know what? It's not hot outside, so we'll, we'll open them. And they open the panels and you get kind of a view of the mountains. Or not really that big mountains, but you know the hills and and stuff that surround Phoenix, uh, which is kind of cool. Uh, I think they played the Giants, although I'm not 100 percent sure on that one either. Uh, I have no idea who won, or I can't tell you anything about the game. Uh, but I do remember buying an opening day pin and how hard that seemed to be like the collector item of the thing. So it was like one of those that you know had it said opening day, had the date on it, yeah. had the two teams, uh, and you know was extremely hard to find. Yeah, uh, but I did get one. And I, and I got that. So I remember that. And it was cool. Um, I was with my mom. I, I, I think I was with my brother, too. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember. I'm, I'm, I'm 98% sure Ben was there as well. This Opening is part day. of the old age kicking in uh, where Dave is like, wait, was my brother there? Was he still alive? Was he dead by then? I don't remember. Ben's still alive. Oh, whatever. I forget. Yeah, no. Um, I'm. Yeah, he. well, he was on the trip. So I'm, I can only assume that he was at the game. And it was my mom's first opening day anywhere. Oh, really? Uh, okay. Which was kind of cool. That's kind of uh, surprising, actually. How long ago yeah. was that? Uh, like at least five years. That strikes me as surprising because your mom is a big baseball fan. And you guys have gone to a fair number of games, I think, if memory serves me. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. So. It, yeah, and considering the amount of Jays games I've gone and I've tried to, you know, I'm just calling him out. I've tried to get Dave to go to a freaking game, but he's a cheapskate. So half the time it's like, oh, well, my mom is like, you don't need your freaking mom at the game to go to the freaking baseball game, Dave. Hey, we've gone to Buffalo on multiple occasions. I was talking about the Dome. I know you were, but I'm just saying. It's not like we haven't been to a baseball game in years. I understand. And and the Buffalo. And by the way, the Buffalo. uh, I think it's Coca-Cola Field, I believe. Uh, Last check, yeah. Yeah. So the thing, the stadium in Buffalo for the Buffalo Bisons, fantastic. A great, great locale to watch a baseball game. And and I'm going to cross my fingers and hope the day comes that New York State is no longer, you know, collapsing under its own weight of the uh you know of coronavirus here if the day comes that new york state is you know got a clean bill of health who knows how long that's going to take i would love to go to another game at coca-cola field or whatever it's called now uh chase field by the way was the name of the arizona thing still is uh so that hasn't changed but yeah no uh what i will say is that opening day is still fun uh if you can get out to the game i i would say maybe the problem is that i've um when it comes to opening day and when it comes to Major League Baseball and all that, I've already mentioned, my love of Major League Baseball is a lot less than it used to be. I still love the game of baseball, but the Major League Baseball doesn't excite me the way it once did. Uh, but I will say, with that said, opening day always has a bit of a special appeal. However, and maybe this is, uh, you know, me steadily becoming a, um, oh, what's the name of the, what's the name of the, uh, this is my old age kicking in. What's the name of the friggin' people that are always, oh, I liked it before it was, before everybody else was onto it. 
Like hipsters? Yes, hipsters. Thank you. So okay, basically, I'm basically, glad I got that right. Yeah, I was like, you finally got something right. It's like, so I'm basically a baseball hipster. It's like, no, you know what? Since all of you are here, this sucks now. <laughs> I don't want to deal with this crap. I was here when nobody was here. I was here when it was friends and family. Yeah, I hear you, man. Yeah, because, uh, and this is true. Uh, I used to be at Jay's games where, no joke, you didn't need to specify social distancing. We had social distancing at the ballpark at the game. Rows in each direction where I could just sit and chill. The only foul ball I ever got, Dave. Did I ever tell you the story of the only foul ball I ever got at a game? No. Okay, no. this is great. This was uh, social distancing back in the in the early 2000s in Toronto. So we didn't need we didn't need uh, a mandate. We, if you wanted social distancing in Toronto, go to a Jays game in the early 2000s. Anyway, so we went to the game, and we were over on the side, um, you know, in foul territory. Uh, and this is when Carlos Delgado was still playing for the Jays. So you, you can date it based on that. But this was when he was still he was at his peak of his powers. You know, he was a 40 home run threat, a potential triple crown guy. He was he was a monster. And what happened is Carlos Delgado uh, and I was there with my brother who basically hates everything. So when he actually shows up to a game, it's memorable. Uh, so anyway, he was sitting beside me and we were in foul territory. So I got the seats to the, to the spot. Right. And I actually had different seats. But like I said, we had social distancing in effect. So the entire section was empty. So I literally talked to the usher and I pointed and I'm like, dude, really? And he's like, all right, fine, go. So so it was uh, so we were able to just waltz down to the section. So anyway, Carlos Delgado hit a foul ball that basically made a beeline for my brother's head. So Roberto bailed out. <laughs> and no joke, the foul ball, and I was sitting there, and again, I would have gone to try to catch it, but I was sitting there like, this section is empty. Basically, I can just let it land and I'll grab it. It's, it's not going to be a problem. So I'm like, all right, screw it. I'm just going to let this land. I'm watching it all the way. I'm tracking it. So I'm like, since there's literally no one around me to take this from me, I'll be able to pick up a free baseball. Easy. So Roberto bails out, and no joke, it hits his chair square in the middle where his head was. Good thing he bailed out. Yeah, good thing for him that he bailed out, and I was sitting beside him, but I literally sat in my chair and I tracked it, and I literally could have just reached my hand over, but I'm like, no, let it hit the chair. And as soon as it hit the chair, it hit the ground, and I just picked it up. Nice. That, uh, the, I remember uh, when Andrew almost should have had a foul ball, but no, he no, bailed out of the I should have had the foul ball because I could have bodied him, like in the NBA, just bodied him and knocked him out. Unfortunately, and so the story that Dave's talking about is his bachelor party because we went to the Mecca of all bachelor parties, the place that all of you secretly want to go for your bachelor party if you have it, Cleveland, Ohio, because that's what you do. Hey, man, we had a good time. We would have had a good time in Antarctica. I was there, I was there bringing the awesomeness to it, despite Coscarella. Carlos was there, and there was alcohol. Absolutely. We were good, good time. There. Yeah, but the, the problem, so quick story about that. The only reason we didn't get the foul ball, and this is a regret because we could have totally had it. And by that, I mean I would have totally had it because Kazoo is a wuss. But I would have totally had it, but I was not, I was not at my best. Uh, I had my beverages, but I was just dead tired. And these were back in the days of before social distancing when I was getting my standard three hours of sleep a night, if that. I was dead tired. And to be honest, I wasn't really – the drinking really didn't do me in. I was just so exhausted. That I actually, if you remember, I, I said, I'm going to sleep in for a bit, and then I'll join you guys later. And then I actually went to Dunkin' Donuts to get a terrible iced coffee, which is hideously bad, by the way. So I went, I walked over to Dunkin' Donuts, got the hideous iced coffee, tried to drink it, and it was swill. And then I uh, casually walked back up towards the other way, went to the, went to the hotel, uh, grabbed grab my hat, you know, and, well, actually, I bought the hat at the game, but I went to grab all my stuff, grab my ticket and everything. I wanted to get my coffee first and get some breakfast, so I did that, and then I walked back to the hotel, 
got up, put all my stuff away and said, all right, cool. I'll go to the game, grab the ticket. And then I go in late uh, because I can just chill, walk straight through everything. No problem. I go to the concessions. I go get the, my, you know, my Carlos C hat. They claim it's Cleveland, but it's Carlos. It's C for Carlos. But the point is I got my hat, you know, my pro fit hat. And then I went over to meet you guys at the seats. And then we, and then we got the foul ball. And literally I was, I was tracking it pretty good, but I was, uh, but I had my shades on and everything and I was trying to track it a little bit and I was just too tired to get up and go get it. Literally all I had to do was reach over with my arm. And I would have caught the damn thing. And I was like too lazy to do it. And it bounced just beside us. So that my regret is I was like, I, I could have just bodied him and just went, reached out because Kazoo wasn't going to do shit. So I was like, come on, man. <laughs> At least try. My, my, my regret is that none of us did anything. Well, you guys are wusses. You guys are terrible. Kazoo and then was- there's my brother who caught a, a, caught a uh, home run ball at Fenway Park one handed with a beer in the other hand. I, I don't want to downplay this, but it's not that hard to do. You just got to track the ball. You well, that one that one bounced too, right? Sure, so. sure. But the the point that I'm trying to get at is the the reason I gave, I, I said the story with the uh, with the foul ball was that if there had been a bunch of people around, well, when Roberto bailed out, I would have just moved into his position and caught it with the two hands. By the way, if you're going to catch a foul ball and you don't have a glove, some people don't like having gloves at the game. I understand, but it is easier. By the way, just if you if you're not confident in your hands, bring a glove, especially if you're in foul territory where you can totally get a ball. Um, that's just my my suggestion to you but the thing is that like in that situation it was so high that you've got a lot of hang time you 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 real the real trick is getting the depth perception to figure out like where is this going to land and then positioning yourself so you can just get on it's like catching a proper foul ball in baseball normally get yourself to the spot so you don't have to run to it or dive to it or stretch just so that it's directly above you and then just catch in your hands that's it that's all you got to do but yeah i was too lazy to do it unfortunately and i missed out on what would have been a pretty easy foul ball unfortunately that's my bad. Yeah. There we go. But there's some random baseball stories for you from our lives. Hey, I thought we would share that. That's good. So, yeah, so opening day memories, that's kind of where I go with that. And then, obviously, some other baseball memories as well. And we're looking forward to when baseball comes back. I think it'll be fun. But uh, I would say don't rush it. Um, don't get past the idea. You need to take what's going on seriously enough. Do it right. Do it correctly. And then we'll get there faster. But if you guys just screw around, it's going to take longer. It's just the truth. You need to understand that. Good stuff. Anything else you want to add as far as that's concerned? No, I just have uh, the next topic. But in terms of the baseball, that's good for me for now. Okay, great. So what we're going to talk about now is we're going to now we've had we've had a good chunk of time. I'm very pleased with this part. We've had a good chunk of time talking about a lot of different stuff in the segment that will be henceforth known as whatever crap Carlos feels like talking about. And it's going to go wherever it's going to go. So there you go. But now let's talk about a little bit of what else you can do if you want to have some distractions while you're at home dealing with whatever you're dealing with. Uh, that's a little bit sports related. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. All right. Uh, what do you want to go with first here, Dave? Um, so I think I would go with, um, sports and novels. Go for it. Or books. Uh, cause there's a lot out there and some are, I don't know, really good and others aren't. And I just thought I would give people a few suggestions. Obviously, I mean, this is something that could fill 10 podcasts, but I'm just thinking of some things that either classics that I've really enjoyed or, uh, you know, some things that sort of surprised me. All right. Uh, so first of all, uh, I think probably my favorite sports related book is, uh, the natural. Okay. Which the movie is based on the book. Uh, yeah. it's, you know, pretty, if, if you've seen the movie, it's, it's more or less the same. Uh, but I've, I really enjoyed that. And it was, it was one of those, you know, in the process of moving and all that kind of thing, you know, there's always a the question of, okay, I have a bunch of books. What books am I going to get rid of? Right. And that has always been a book that I've kept 
it's uh, by uh, Bernard Malamud. Yep. And and for whatever you know, I I haven't read it in a long time. It was first published in the fifties, but it's something that I I don't know, I just really like it. Um, and I like the movie as well. And so something that if you haven't read it, but you you know you've seen the movie or you don't even know what the heck we're talking about, mm-hmm. uh, but you like baseball, I think that's worth checking out. Um, the other book. Uh, that I haven't actually read, but I've seen the original movie. Uh, they did a remake as well, uh, but I've only ever heard good things about it. And obviously, this is something if the libraries were open, I'd probably go get at this time. Sure. Is uh, Fever Pitch? Okay. And so Fever Pitch is it's basically a one one fans owe to Arsenal, uh, which is a soccer team in uh, North London, England. And basically, it's he talks about different events in his life as they relate to different Arsenal games uh, and the movies about, you know, a super Arsenal fan and whose relationship with the woman becomes somewhat troublesome because of his relationship with the team in terms of how obsessed with the team he is. Right. Mm-hmm. And then they remade it. I can't, I think they, they remade it with, um, Jimmy Fallon. Was Drew, yeah. And Jimmy Drew, Fallon, Drew, Drew Barrymore, Barrymore, right? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, about with the Boston, Boston Red, Red Sox. Sox. Yep. I know yeah. what you're talking about. I, uh, so, I assume that's what you were going to say, but then I was like, Arsenal. Yeah. So that's, so it's actually originally an, an English novel. Got it. Uh, and, and that's where it comes from. Uh, so that could be something we're checking out too. Uh, if you're a fan of either movie or, uh, you know, and, and from what I've heard, I mean, obviously I can only go with what, cause I haven't actually read the book, yeah. but that people are, are saying that basically it's, you don't have to be an Arsenal fan to, you know, get it or enjoy it. If, if you like the sport or you like, uh, sports books, you'll probably, uh, enjoy it. Uh, and and then there's another book, which is one of these things that I read uh, that really surprised me uh, that I actually really liked it. Um, and then I have one, I have one more. So I'm only going baseball and uh, soccer in these books. Although okay. obviously I could go a bunch more. Uh, was the Yankee years, uh, and it was Joe Torre uh, with Tom Verducci mm-hmm. uh, about obviously Joe Torre's time with the Yankees. And I hate the Yankees. I hate the Yankees with passion. Uh, but there's always certain Yankee people that obviously I've respected or followed or like. Uh, I was a big fan of Derek Jeter. He's the only Yankee player that I, in my lifetime that I've ever really liked and followed. Um, and I always liked Joe Torre for whatever reason. I don't really know why. Uh, but that book, I was like, okay, I'm going to read this book because I've heard some good things about it. Mm. And I really enjoyed it. Like, it was really good, um, very honest, and gives you sort of a real you know, insider's view of everything that's going on during his time there, uh, including the end. And so I would think that's something that's that's definitely worth taking a look at. Uh, it, you know, if you're a baseball fan, I like that kind of stuff. All right, sounds good. So mm-hmm. let me throw a couple at you. So, okay, I finish? I have one more. I have okay, one go more. ahead. Yep. Uh, and the last one is called The Fix by Declan Hill. Mm-hmm. And it is about match fixing in soccer. Mm-hmm. And it goes through, you know, a variety of different um, tournaments, games around the world. Uh, and it basically talks about the links between betting on soccer and organized crime. And, you know, how they've paid certain people off and how it works and whatnot. Uh, I warn you, if you decide you want to read this book, it's a fantastic book. But you will probably never look at a soccer game the same way again. And there's certain plays where if it, you know that things happen in games and you'd be like, mm, is this game fixed? Uh, you know, and you let's put it this way, okay? If you read this book, you will start watching soccer the way Carlos watches the CFL. Way to spoil my book. The CFL, the real story. 
Guys, I'm going to explain to you. I was in the writer's room, and we booked the last 10 Grey Cups, and we booked the next 10. I could spoil this for you, but, you know, I, I, I want you to be surprised. Anyway, what are your what are your books, Carlos? All right, so I'm going to give you a couple of different angles on this. I'm going to stick predominantly baseball because that's still kind of my lane. As I said, that is still the sport I'm most passionate about. But there's some excellent books in different sports, so let's not downplay that. One of them that I'll give you is Ty Cobb, uh, A Terrible Beauty, which is a biography of Ty Cobb. Uh, very interesting. I've had a chance to read it. I read it on Kindle. Uh, very well done, though. It is quite good, I would say. Uh, an enjoyable one. If you're interested at all in that era of baseball, Ty, uh, Ty, Cobb, Ty Cobb, A Terrible Beauty. Is the and it's by Charles Learson. I'm totally mispronouncing that, but I'm just giving it to you that way. Um, that's an interesting one, and one that you you know you alluded to the Yankees, and I'll give you one, uh, Pinstripe Empire, which I think I've talked to you about before. That's kind of the story of the New York Yankees going from its their initial creation uh, through the era of John Steinbrenner. And if you want to kind of understand how the New York Yankees, basically the reason why we have to deal with the New York Yankees today is because the Boston Red Sox are stupid. So what you need to understand is the Boston Red Sox basically created this. Yeah. So it's basically their fault is what I'm trying to say. So the Boston Red Sox really have no contention of claiming, oh, a rival with the Yankees. You created them. This is your fault. You deserve this. So their current supposed championships in the last 20 years, oh, whatever. Yeah, sure. All right, get some steroids. Anyway, the point is, uh, Pinstripe Empire gives you the story of how the about how the New York Highlanders in the early days, and it's really cool because it gives you a lot of background in the early days of baseball in the American League specifically, and how that came into play, how the team came to exist, how they came, how they be, went from being the Highlanders to the Yankees, their early rivalries with the New York Giants in in the same place, their rivalries with the Brooklyn Dodgers, leading into the more modern era. So it's it's actually very cool if you're interested in baseball history that way. Uh, third regular book I would say to you, Ball Four. That's a classic. Uh, Jim Bowden. Yes. Yeah. So that that's is, that, I've heard of that one. Yeah. So that's a classic one. And I'll even throw in two for you. Uh, we talked about mainly like, you know, regular kind of books in the sense of more adult books. But I'll throw uh, two kids books for you that I read back in my youth that are actually, I think, pretty decent. I don't know if they hold up today. You'd have to check it out. But I'll give you uh, two of them written by uh, author Matt Christopher. Uh, first one is The Kid Who Hit Only Homers. So that's a kid's book. And it's related to, uh, you know, a kid who is having some trouble hitting until he meets him a new mentor, uh, George Baruth. Figure out who that's supposed to be based on. Yeah, a really, really yeah. clever alias. Let me tell you, a clever alias. But what's cool is the Matt Christopher book, and it was years later that it happened, there was a second book uh, that was called Return of the Home Run Kid, which is kind of a playoff, a continuation of this series. But it was like over a decade later, because I think the first one was written in 1972. And the second one was like in the early 90s. So, this, you know, and I remember reading this as a kid. This is a long time ago now. Um, so a similar situation. But you've got a guy named Chico who teaches this kid how to do it. And he plays a little bit dirtier, which, by the way, is also a playoff an old time baseball player who I won't reveal here either. So if for whatever reason you got younger kids or whatever and they want a kid's book, this is a kid's book. But it's a kid's book on baseball. So there you go. Nice, though. I think, you know, people could probably use that kind of stuff at a time like this. Yeah. And these are these are ones that I read back in the day. I think this was first published in 1992. So you can figure out that it's been a while. Uh, but it's a fun little kid's book. It's light stuff. Um, but there you go. That's a, So I gave you three kind of regular books you can check out as a baseball fan and two kid's books if, if you have uh, younger ones who you want to introduce to the game that way. You can check out Mr. George Baruth and uh, the story of Chico. There we go. Yes. So as far as books is concerned, I'm good with that. Uh, what else you got? Um, I just wanted to highlight a couple of podcasts that are not us. 
Uh, so, you know, after you've exhausted your, your list of listening to all, you know, 40 plus episodes of the Unnecessary Nonsense podcast, you might be going, well, what else can I listen to? So here's just a couple of things. Uh, some of, I'm not going to go into a ton of these because some of the things we've, we've sort of talked to already. I mean, lots of um, platforms have their own sort of sport-specific podcasts. ESPN has a ton. Uh, the Score does some good ones. They have a you know a basketball one, a soccer one, a baseball one. ESPN, you know, Baseball Tonight is great too. Um, but I'm going to give you I'm going to give you three uh, specifically. So the first one I want to I want to give a shout out to. Uh, is Footy Prime. You can hear it talks about football, uh, and, and by football I mean soccer, or pretentious cross-country running and Carlos's lingo. Uh, and it's by um, basically all the guys who used to be on Sportsnet and did their Premier League coverage went before everything went to the zone. Uh, and it's like the unnecessary nonsense of soccer podcasts. Settle down. That's lofty praise, Dave. How dare you? So, so it's basically like they, they talk some soccer, obviously and then they kind of just go off on some tangents so if you if you're into if you want unnecessary nonsense specific on a single sport there you go also uh the other one i really like i like the guardian football weekly which is which is funny because it's actually two podcasts a week so they call the second one the football weekly extra but it's like there's always a second one so I don't know why they call it Football Weekly because it's twice a week. But anyway, uh, and and they go, you know, basically cover mostly Europe, uh, mostly British soccer because uh, it's a BB, it's not a, sorry, Guardian is a newspaper in England. And they also throw in some, you know, obviously continental Europe stuff. And occasionally we'll go on on talking about stories about North America or South America or, you know, depending on where the story is. And the last one is the 30 for 30 podcasts. Uh, which are fantastic. Uh, I don't, you know, when the next one's coming out, but because uh, I've listened to all of them that they put out, uh, and they only sort of did maybe like say like five ish uh, season, uh, but they're out there uh, and they're really good. And they're just, you know, they've basically gone from the premise that okay, let's try and tell sports stories that are best told in audio format as opposed to you know a documentary that would air on ESPN. And the best one is a five-part series is on Bikram and Bikram Yoga. I know I've talked about that on, on this podcast before, but they do talk about other other stories from other sports in, in, in a variety of, of ways. And sometimes, you know, some Olympic stuff as well, uh, you know, but it's kind of one of those like whatever you're sort of looking for, uh, they'll have something in that kind of genre. Uh, so I'd highly recommend that as well. Okay. Sounds good. Do you want me to throw a couple in here? Yeah, might as well. Okay, so uh, there's a couple that I've kind of discovered recently, and I'll kind of play off this in two ways. So I'm going to stick predominantly to sports, but I will segue into one quickly as well. Uh, There's a network called uh, Wondery, and basically they do a couple of these different types of podcasts on different stuff. And I'll start off with the sports one here. It's called Sports Wars. And basically they tend to be multi-part. So they'll do like a season where they'll take a topic and do like a multi-part thing. And it tends to be more of a storytelling kind of uh, situation where they'll cover whatever the topic is. So I'll use an example. Uh, They did one where I'm listening to right now. It's called Mets versus Yankees Fall Classic. It basically talks about the lead up to the Subway Series of 2000. Another one I did was the home run chase between uh, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. And they did a lot of the lead up into it. And what they do is they explain kind of what happened, but then they also do like little dramatic reenactments where they'll have somebody play the role of somebody having a conversation with somebody else. They'll do it in kind of a, you know, think of it as almost like a radio teleplay 
over multiple podcasts is basically what they're doing while telling the story. And they'll have the narrator filling in the blanks as well as you go along. It's not just strictly audio. It's not just strictly um, dialogue. It's also all the exposition is there to get you from point A to point B. And I discovered that one. So the Sports Wars, it's kind of good. I enjoy it for what it is. And I discovered it because it was a playoff of another one that I had looked at and started listening to, which is called Business Wars. It's the same people. It's Wondery, Business Wars. And the reason why I was checking them out is because they had some really interesting comparisons that they did in the same type of format. It's kind of like a teleplay, but over multiple episodes. And I was checking it out, and I saw that they had you know Ford versus Chevrolet, Macy's versus Gimbel's, and Starbucks versus Dunkin' Donuts. Nice. Yeah. So it was like really kind of, and then uh, Mars versus Hershey. And they did like a whole history of like the Hershey company and how that built up and then Mars built up as well. And then they became competitors like fighting it out. And fascinating, really interesting stuff. And they also did WWF versus WCW. I haven't checked that one out yet, but I know the story generally of that, but I'll check out their interpretation of it. But uh, this Wondery thing tends to be like they do these... um, talking about different topics and whatever, and they'll do like a whole little teleplay thing, but also giving that exposition, talking about whatever the topic is. So if it interests you, you can check it out and skip different ones to whatever you want. But they tend to be five, six, seven episodes. And sometimes the seventh episode takes kind of everything you talked about and then kind of wraps it up with a little bit of an explanation and a sit down and a talk. So each episode is like about half an hour, 25 minutes, a half an hour, give or take. Thanks, which is a good length too. Yeah, so like you can go episode by episode, and then by the end of the season, you've kind of gotten the whole story of whatever it is. So like I said, the Starbucks versus Dunkin' Donuts was my introduction to it. Very well done, very interesting, uh, because I like business stuff anyway. Uh, but then I checked out, and I saw that they had the Sports Wars, and they do it in a similar type format where they've got their audio engineer, and they combine like... Now in the Sports one, they also combine like clips of play-by-play and stuff to kind of give you the whole experience from top to bottom. Really well done. I enjoy those. So those are two that I would recommend to you, uh, both in sports and non-sports. Addition to that as well, in the same vein, I'll also give you... Uh, we got our local ones, you know, Tim and Sid, that's Sportsnet. That's, it's, it's pretty good for what it is. I enjoy it. And then, of course, the main networks, ESPN and Fox Sports 1 have it. We already talked about The Athletic previously, so I'm not going to go too much more into that. I'm just trying to think if there's another, like, main sports podcast that I go. I guess one that I'm keeping an eye on, it's not as pertinent right now, is that the XFL also does have its own podcast called This is the XFL Show. So, obviously, right now the season is done. But if you, but they are still making podcasts. They made a podcast eight days ago, four days ago, and a day ago. So they're still producing content, uh, talking about different things, their favorite moments of the season, and kind of things they're looking forward to. So they're kind of keeping momentum going because the XFL season didn't end by their own volition. It ended because they just couldn't house the games the way that things were going. And they're still intending to do have a season in 2021. So it'll be really interesting to see kind of how that plays out. So some different podcasts. Some good stuff there that people can check out. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot out there, guys. I'm being completely honest. This is really kind of an opportunity for you if you haven't had the chance. Check out some of the podcasts that are being produced. There's some good stuff happening. And uh, sorry, I almost forgot another one that I've already mentioned before. But you can check out the Steve Dangle podcast, which is just a bunch of idiots talking about hockey stuff. But they also end up talking about random shit. And that's, I think that's really become. So you're saying they're the unnecessary nonsense of hockey podcasts. What I'm trying to say is that basically everyone's ripping us off. And by that, I mean, we ripped off Bill Simmons and then they're ripping us off. So the important thing is to understand that I'm going to forget about Bill Simmons now. Uh, I already said my statement. So they're all ripping us off. Dave is what I'm trying to say. I got you. I feel like uh, we need some royalties or something or hashtag sponsor us. Yeah. It's just offensive. The amount of like plagiarism and blatant, blatant stealing of really original ideas that we brought to the table those bastards 
terrible. I swear to God, if I see one person say pretentious cross-country running, my lawyers will be on their ass. <laughs> they better be. Because, they, because jokes aside, that's, legit, that's mine. That was mine. Dave knows. That was mine. That, that's legit you. That's 100% me. It's all me. Anyway, all right. So that's podcast. What else you got? Uh, and the only other thing, I mean, it's not something specific, but the only thing I want to mention is uh, sports video games. You know, so many games have so many modes other than, you know, just playing an exhibition game, right? Uh, I, I'm i playing in NBA 2K. I have 2K19. I don't have 2K20. So for those people who want to shame me for not having the most up-to-date version of the game. Uh, but I'm doing like the career mode. Uh, you, you know, you create a player it's and then put them on a team. And career play. mode in every sports game, Dave. Oh, for sure. But, but you know what? It's, it's, it's one of those things like if you have like one of the FIFA games previous to FIFA 20, they have like the journey, which is like a, a story kind of a story mode basically within the game that yeah. maybe people don't play. Uh, I actually played online for the first time this week. Uh, I played my brother oh um, my God. and got beat horribly. Uh, but you know what I mean? It's just something different that I haven't done. Uh, so that was kind of cool to do that. So just one of those things that if you're into, you know, sports gaming, or gaming in general, that maybe try a, a, a mode in a game that you haven't done yet, you know, and, and check that out. If, if there's like a manager mode or a coach mode and you haven't done it, yeah, you know, give it a try. See how it, it goes. Maybe you don't like it, but at least it gives you uh, um, another opportunity or another avenue to kind of pursue something different. Look at you. Yeah, the career mode, um, I, I haven't gotten into that too much. Although, like I said, that's always been an option in my uh, back pocket. Uh, there's a lot of great career modes that you can check out in different games and all that. Uh, I haven't started to explore that at all because, as I said previously, I got I got a couple of different things to get me distracted. But one I'll throw at you uh, that isn't really a sport per se, although it's a bit of a racing kind of a setup, Burnout Paradise Remastered. So if you've got a more modern console, check out Burnout Paradise Remastered. It's on Xbox One for sure. I don't know if it's on PS, uh, on PS4 or PS5. PS5 hasn't come out yet, but PS4 for sure. I don't know if it's on that one. I'm pretty sure it is. But the point is that Burnout Burnout is a series of basically kind of racing games. Go ahead. Burnout Paradise is a PS3 game as well. Yeah. yeah. So I'm assuming. Don't, don't, That's the assuming. older version of it. Yeah. yeah, so I'm assuming that it would be for uh, PlayStation 4 then? Probably. So Burnout Paradise Remastered is them taking the original Burnout Paradise, which was an excellent game, and then bringing it into a more yes. modern console. PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC. Perfect. I recommend this to you guys. Reason being, so you go like, oh, Carlos, it's just a dumb racing game. Yes, but it is Burnout. Burnout means, my friends, that you can literally play this game now, you can play the stories, you can do all the different challenges and all that. Yes, you can. You can also ride around this gigantic world and crash your damn car in every way humanly possible. Use everything as a ramp. Send it into the air and crash the sucker. Um, I will personally vouch for this. I have played this game once. It was at Carlos's house, and it was awesome. It's glorious. Glorious. Especially if you come up with a really sweet... If you find the right ramp and get the right amount of speed, you send the sucker into the air and it goes into super slow-mo. And then you crash the sucker and then you get back on the car and start again. It lets you do it as many times as you want. That's literally, it's the perfect definition of mindless entertainment. But if you want to do the challenges and stuff, you can spend a couple hours playing that, no problem. It's really easy to do. So it's It's the best of both worlds, mindless idiocy and story mode. 
Yeah. So it's one of those things where that's a game uh, I don't have the patience anymore to do a story mode of any kind in any game, really. I'd love to say I do, but I really genuinely don't. However, if I want to grab it for 20 or 30 minutes, putter around and and find different ways to run the car into different cars or crash the car in different ways, I can screw around for 20 or 30 minutes and then get on with the rest of my day. So that's pretty sweet that you can just pick up, hop on and do play for a while and then stop and then go do something else. So if you just want to hop around and do different things, that's not a bad option. So that's a video game piece that I'll give you. Another one where if you, you got to like the sport, but if you just want to play around and uh, thing, a lot of the old golf games were pretty good. And when I say old, I don't mean that long ago, but now it feels like it's long ago. They used to have the Tiger Woods PGA Tour. And I used to like to play those, and you could build your character and play and do different tournaments and build up their attributes. Basically, any game where you're playing something and building up attributes and trying to get steadily better, get better equipment, do whatever. That's what keeps you in. That's, you know, kind of role-playing game, but in a sports format. That's really what you're doing. Um, that's a good way to screw around and play, and it just kills time. That's really what it's about. Yeah. Well, hey, I, I again, I will say, people, if you haven't tried Burnout, give it a try, because it was a lot of fun. It is. It is. So I think that's a pretty good little kind of list of things. We've had a chance to go in a couple different directions. Had some opening day memories and some baseball memories of foul balls missed, foul balls caught, siblings that we left to their own devices to potentially get hit and beamed. As you do. As you do. So there we go. So we'll catch you next time on the next episode of the Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast. Look at this guy. He gives us a conclusion. Next episode of the Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast. But you forgot the shameless plugs, Dave. So we're ignoring you and going past that. You can check out this uh, podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. You can check it out on YouTube where there is an archived version of this episode with cartoon versions of our faces. It's called Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast. You can type it in. And also, you can check out in the notes if there's anything in there. No, no links this time around. I don't think there's anything that we really need to link to. Check out some of the books. Check out some of the podcasts. Check out some Unless of the Unless you things. just want to link a bunch of things on YouTube about Epic Crash. You know what you should do? You should film yourself doing an Epic Crash on Burnout and then post it to our YouTube channel. Joke's on you. I have that equipment, but I'm too lazy to connect it. But what I will do, actually, now that I think about it, what I will do... For you, if you check out the show notes, I will put a link to Vice where you can check out that Chris Benoit thing. If you're in the United States, it is on the website, I believe. It is region locked. But in Canada, you can check it out, wink, through different means. Wink. Wink. (laughs) I'm just saying it's possible. The internet makes many things possible. That's all I'm going to say about that. That's all you need to say. Yeah, but that's uh, but I'll leave you with a link to that if you want to know what I'm referring to, and then you can check it out yourself wherever you happen to find it. So that'll be it for myself and Dave. We'll catch you in the next episode of the Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast. This is the proper ending.